know what it is, Danny. How's it going, Tyler? Oh, it's going pretty good. This week, first anthology film in a bit. It has been a while. We're going to be doing some three extremes. To get into the three extremes, we should probably first hit the 420. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to be playing with a lot of numbers today. That's right. So today, mine is a little bit simpler than normal. It was Black Friday slash Small Business Saturday slash Cyber Monday, although the Cyber Monday really didn't factor into this <laughs> at all, at one of our local shops. So I went and bought a lot of weed and then didn't see any reason to go out and buy any pre-rolls when I had some cones lying around. Makes sense. So I rolled you a joint that's about... 75% Jack oh, cool Herrera and about 25% Blueberry. Nice. Hell yeah. I like both. Yeah. So it's got a, a little bit of the sleepy in there, but I made sure that was just sort of low down. But you should get a little bit of both. I, I like had it. a lot of both because it was $30 <laughs> a quarter. I know, dude. Yeah, so unbelievable. I <laughs> I did the same, but I went for two heavy Indica. So yeah, mm. I, that's the reason I didn't bring those over. We'd be nappy boys. Right. Yeah. Instead, today, you already told me, but... Yeah, so... For the listeners, what you handed me is... I brought over some Alaskan Thunderfuck from a dispensary we really haven't frequented a whole lot. I got this one from, of course, here in town over at Ganja Goddess, so shout out to them. But I did pick up the Alaskan Thunderfuck, ATF, for those who don't want to use that word. But <laughs> anyhow, for those who are curious, it is a legendary sativa marijuana strain originating in the Madaniska Valley area of Alaska. And it says, according to the legend, it was originally a Northern California sativa crossed with a Russian ruderalis, which is like a land race strain. Mm -hmm. But sometime in the late 70s, it was crossed with Afghani genetics to make it hardier. So it is noted for its herbal, peppery, and citrus notes. It comes in roughly about 16%. I think the one at the shop is about 17% on the uh, THC scale. I don't think I've ever necessarily tried if i have it's been like minuscule so i know i was thinking about it and maybe i've had atf one other time before this we went just tried and true to this week yeah it's like <laughs> atf legendary and like kind of a staple at this point even though i'd say maybe 20 years ago when we were coming up it was a little bit more like oh shit you actually got something yeah exactly dude but that goes along the same lines as like the jack h yep Straight up blueberry. Yeah. That's like I picked up the Afghani, which is a land race mm -hmm. strain, and I picked up some granddaddy perps. So, yeah. These are all like the parent strains to all this other fucking yeah, boutique shit exactly. that we have been going on. I was so <laughs> tempted when I was there, too. I was like, oh, they got some cookies and cream right there. Oh, dude, I know. It's so enticing. But I'm like, I need to get through this <laughs> weed that I got. I'm in the same boat. Like, sometimes my eyes get heavier than my wallet. I already smoked through, like an eighth worth of fucking Tahiti lime this weekend. So good. So, so good. tasty. But I'm going to light up this ATF so that we can get into the guts and bolts of three extremes. Guts and bolts. All right. Three extremes, guts and bolts, who and what went into this spoiler free, set it up for y'all in case you don't know what it's about. Oh, this one's a little bit harder. Well, first off, we haven't done an anthology in a bit, have we? I want to say the last one we did was Black Sabbath, if I'm not mistaken. Did we do Black Sabbath before or after Der Todes King, which I'd say is arguable as of anthology? Yeah, I would still consider that within. I think we did it after, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I'm, I'm almost certain, but, you know, we smoke a bunch of weed, so sometimes it's hard to remember. I was trying to think. So I guess, let's see. The spoiler-free setup for this movie is first off, it's going to be three segments, a Pan-Asia 
anthology of horror have a Hong Kong segment, got a South Korea segment, and a Japan segment. Hong Kong, you got Dumplings, which is about a woman's quest to regain her youth. That work for a spoiler-free setup? I think so. I think that's a good spoiler-free synopsis. We got Cut, which is, ooh, a man and his wife get caught in a killer's weird game. Without spoiling, yeah. And we have Box, with a woman has recurring nightmares of a box, and it goes into the mystery behind that. I like it. Like I said, we try to give you a spoiler-free, as, as much as possible, you know, setup of all these. So I think you did a really good job there. And of course, week to week, we like to talk about the people who go into making these films and the people acting in them. And the way I'm going to do this, because typically, you know, we only cover whether it's a film or a short or what have you, one at a time. So I'm going to try to do these by segment. So that way it doesn't get as confusing. So with that being said, I'm going to lead off with the first segment, and that is the segment Dumplings, which you mentioned before, out of Hong Kong. And the director for this is a gentleman who goes by the name of Fruit Chan. And when you look at some of his works, actually some interesting things to note. He did the 1997 trilogy, which encompassed Made in Hong Kong, The Long Summer, and Little Chung. He also did the Prostitute Trilogy, which those films include Dorian Dorian, Hollywood Hong Kong, and Three Husbands. Because this short was a success, it was adapted into a full-length feature. So he did the 2004 Dumplings. He did a segment entitled Ging Shi, Tales from the Dark, one back in 2013. And last year, he did a film called The Abortionists. I'm hmm. kind of curious about that. Right, moving forward, we have writer Pick Wee Lee, but she goes also by Lillian Yi. And when you look at her work, she's actually a novelist, and a lot of her novels got adapted into film, this also being included in that. And with some other works, her novel Father and Son was adapted to film, her novel Rogue was adapted to film, The Reincarnation of Golden Lotus, and more recently Tales from the Dark Part 1 as well from 2013. All right, cinematographer on this is Christopher Doyle. As far as I know, I don't think we have a relation because he is from Australia, I think <laughs> maybe New Zealand. But he's got some really interesting works to note. When you look at his body of works, a lot of Asian films because he did move to Hong Kong, so it makes sense. But he did Gus Van Sant's 1998's Psycho, which is really interesting. Oh, shit. Okay. He was the DP for Jean Favreau's film Made back in 2001. Oh. Yeah, another really interesting one. Lady in the Water back in 2006, the M. Night Shyamalan film. It's kind of neat. Oh, Hero with Jet Li. Yeah. That one's good. Exactly. Uh, Jim Jarmusch's The Limits of Control back in 2009. Oh, man, this is kind of neat. 2016's Endless Poetry, which is a Alejandro Jodorowsky film as well. Yeah. So here's the neat one. Mm -hmm. He was the cinematographer on the Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown Hong Kong episode, Uh which was doubled up as being directed by Asia Argento. No shit. That makes sense because, you know, they were dating. Not she and Christopher Doyle, but she and Bourdain. That's, That's really interesting. You know, since we're talking about that, for those who do follow us and those who are fans of Argento, unfortunately, Daria Nicolodi passed a few days ago as well. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, fuck, that sucks, man. 2020, you a bitch. All right, editor, which is going to make it easy, is also Fruit Chan. The music was composed by Kwang Gi Chen, and when you look at their body of work, 
they have such films as The Stormriders, Bodyguards and Assassins in Wuxi. And it looks like they've also done a lot of those internal affairs films, like I think the entire trilogy. So that's kind of really cool. Initial D and also the film Daisy. All right, so moving into the cast of Dumplings, we have Miriam Jung. She plays the role of Miss Yi in this film. And just to name a few bodies of work for her, she was also in the film My Lucky Star back in 2003. She was in Three of a Kind back in 2004. She was also in The Sorcerer and the White Snake, where she made a cameo on that. Like I said, most of these are all Hong Kong films, so unless you're really big into that scene, you probably haven't seen it, because I honestly can't say I recognize any of these, <laughs> these credits. But Okay, so it says, her notable works include Sounds of Color, Drink, Drank, Drunk, Hooked on You, Perfect Wedding, Love in a Puff, and Love in the Buff. So there you go. All right. This is actually an actress you and I have talked about before, but not on our podcast. Right. We talked about her on General Nerdery when we talked about The Crow, which is really cool. But we are talking about, is it Bailing or Biling? Biling. Okay, yeah. So for those who are curious, we've already mentioned The Crow. She was also in the films Red Corner, Crank High Voltage, the film Dumplings, Wild Wild West, Anna in the King, and Southland Tales. And she's also a singer. I'm sure she's done some modeling as well because she is an attractive woman. But uh, yeah, it's interesting, man. Seeing her in this is really cool. Like I said, she's got a number of films underneath her belt too. Yeah. Unlike the rest of the cast, you've mm. probably seen her in something. Yeah, I think she's a little bit more known to Western audiences. All right, moving forward, we have Pauline Liao. She plays Yi's maid, which I don't even know if that's really... <laughs> <laughs> you know, of anything of note. I think this is really a, her only film of note. We also have Tony Leung K. Fai. So, oh man, when we were first deciding to go with three extremes, and I just looked up the cast really quick, we got excited because we saw Bailey. Yeah. We got excited because of some of the other people in the other we'll segments here coming second, up yep. that we'll be mentioning. I got really excited for a second because it said Tony Leung K. Fai. And then you go into his Wikipedia, and one of the first things it says is, as he is often confused with actor Tony Leung Chiu Wai, and I realized, oh, that's who I thought it was. That's funny. Yeah, because it says here he's known as Big Tony, while the other one is Little Tony. Yeah, I am more familiar with Little Tony. Ah, that's pretty funny, man. Let's see here. It says some of uh, his films of note are three films by Chow Yun-Fat, and those were Prison on Fire... A Better Tomorrow Part 3, and God of Gamblers Return. He's also done such films as Double Vision. That was with American actor David Morris. He also starred in The Myth, Everlasting Regret, in the film Election. And it says here he won his fourth Best Actor Award for his performance in Cold War at the 32nd Hong Kong Film Award. So, gentleman with some prestige underneath his belt. And let's see here. I have last but not least actress Mimi Tian. Actually, I've got one other actress because she didn't need to be noted, even though in Wikipedia, they don't note her. But Mimi Tan plays a role of Connie. And I believe, because I don't really mention her by name, I believe that's the mistress. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm almost certain of it. She does have a couple of interesting films to note. She was in the 2004 film Dumplings, based off this short story. She was also in the film Isabella and Empress in the Palace, which was a television series back in 2012. And the actress I wanted to mention was Mickey Yoon. She was the one who plays Kate in the film, the young girl in the film. Right, okay. Right, and some things of note from her, she was in Love for Love, L for Lies. She was in the film Fatal Contact, 
and more recently, Lan Kuei Fong. Dumplings, done. Yes. On to cut. Stamp. <laughs> yeah, on to cut. Out of so South Korea. Always the problem with these fucking anthologies. Dude, I know. So much to talk about. Especially when you have so many different people on board, you know? Mm-hmm. It'd be one thing if it was like just Mario Baba's or your Bootkreitz, but it's not. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, no. It's... Well, I'm not mad. I'm just saying it's a lot of people. <laughs> All right, so cut. South Korea. Gentlemen we've talked about before, but as if he needs any introduction. Park Chan-wook. And when you look at some of his works, actually some interesting things to note. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Lady Vengeance, and The Old Boys. So that mm. comprises that trilogy. And things like JSA, Dude, and Thirst. And- Thirst was a really good film. I've actually seen that one. Really good. And Snowpiercer. Now, we had mentioned it, I believe. Which I think he only produces on, but You're right. still rather well-known name that's attached it's, to it. It's really neat because uh, I think we mentioned that last week with one of our credits, too. I think there was an actress that was in the series. Uh, actually, yeah. The girl who played Lavinia. Oh, right, right. Yeah, she's in the television show. All right, and then writer, once again, Park Chan-wook. We have cinematographer Chung Chung-hoon. And when you look at their filmography, they've got some really cool films, too, underneath their belt. They've done such things as Lady Vengeance, the film Thirst, which makes sense, of course. The film Blades of Blood. He was the DP for the film Stoker. He was also the cinematographer on The Handmaiden, one I'm surprised, we've actually, I think we did a review on it, was the first chapter of It. And I believe, yeah, back in 2017, I was like, whoa, I didn't realize that. And also the DP for Zombieland Double Tap. All right, moving forward, we have editors. Two of them actually is Jay Boom Kim and Sung Boom Kim. And they pretty much have the same bodies of work when you look at it. I mean, of course, they both did Liar, which is a film that came out in 2004. But they've done all of his bodies of work as far as um, Chan Wook Bak. All right. The music was composed by Bung Sung Ah and Yong Gyo Jung and Byung Hoon Lee. <laughs> a lot of people, dude. And like I said, when you look at their filmography, they composed the music for Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Wishing Stars, which is actually, it was like a, a series of films Tartan Extreme put out for the South Korean line mm. of films. Yeah. And there was a couple of them I wanted to grab, but I never did. I remember seeing the cover for this one quite a few times. But they've also composed the music for Old Boy. They also did Lady Vengeance. So those are pretty much the ones of note. All right. This was produced by Su Yong An, Eugene Yi, and Jung Wan Oh. All right. And then moving into our actors in this, gentlemen, we've actually talked about for a big bad reason, dude. So this is another one of the names that got us excited. Yeah. So I happy. Love me some Lee Byung Hun. He's so good, man. But we did talk about him on episode 54 when we reviewed I Saw the Devil. Was it that long ago? It doesn't feel like it, but yeah, it's craziness. It's so fucking good. It's great, man. I still recommend that to anybody who likes Asian cinema in general. I'm a big fan of The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, which okay. he's in. Yep. He was in the, oh, fuck, what's his name? There was recently a remake of... Magnificent Seven? He played Billy Rocks. Yeah. A knife-wielding gunslinger. In the uh, Antoine Fuqua. (laughs) Nice. I believe directed that version of Magnificent Seven with Chris Pratt playing kind of an asshole. It's kind of fun. I actually really, really like that version. Nice. (laughs) Not as classic as the original one, but... Still, if it's fun, it's fun. It's fun, dude. Hell yeah. But some other films of note, he was Storm Shadow in G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, and Retaliation. And he also starred along Bruce Willis in Red 2. And it says he also portrayed T-1000 in Terminator Genesis back in 2015. So he is... I still haven't 
watch Genesis. I haven't either, but he is known to Western audiences. All right, we have Im Woon-hee, who plays the extra slash stranger in the film. And he's actually got some really cool films to note as well. So when you look throughout his filmography, he's been in such things as No Blood, No Tears. He was in the film Crying Fist. I think he got some recognition for the film Le Grand Chef. He was also in the film The Quiz Show Scandal, which I don't know if that's a remake or not, or if it's maybe it's an Asian version of it, because there was a film that's similar uh, with John Totoro. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's a part of it, but he was also in Horror Stories Part 2, where he played a teacher in the short film The Escape, and more recently the films Forbidden Dream and Collectors. I also know he's a noted stage actor as well. All right, we have Gangi Young, who plays director's wife, and when you look at her body's work, she, yeah, I was like, oh shit, she's an old boy as Mido. I was like, oh damn, oh, that's damn. why I recognize her. <laughs> She makes a cameo, I should say, as Honestly, a TV announcer. she's hard to recognize in her role. In she that. really is. She does not look the same at all. I mean, for obvious reasons, but <laughs> she was also in uh, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance as a TV announcer. She was in the films How to Steal a Dog and Lucid Dream, and she's done some television series. Looks like she's also done some music. There's some music videos of note and some theater. So yeah, she's got her hands on all kinds of cool stuff. And last but not least, we have Yum Yong Ah, who plays the role of the vampire in this, which is misleading. Like 30 seconds. Yeah, I was like, that's kind of misleading. Although, like that 30 seconds. It's good. Well, not only is it good, but she is front and center, the main character. Without a doubt. Yeah. For that 30 seconds. Totally agree. I guess give her a credit, but it's still fucking funny looking (laughs) back on the segment. It certainly is. All right, but some films of note. I did mention Tartan Extreme put out some really cool films. H being one of them, I think they did a series that were just alphabetical. Like there was A for whatever, B for, you know, et cetera, et cetera. She was in A Tale of Two Sisters, film we reviewed once again as Hyo Yoon Ju. Really cool. I was like, oh shit, there she is. Yep. Let's see, she was in 2017's The Mimic. And more recently, Life is Beautiful and Steel Rain Part 2. Like I said, number of television series. I know we've talked about her before. So, you know, if you're a little bit more curious about her filmography, check out A Tale of Two Sisters. Great film. Check out Tale of Two Sisters anyway, because it's a fucking fantastic it's movie. It's so good, man. All right. Stamp. That was the South Korean cut. Cut. <laughs> All right. Moving into the last segment, Box from Out of Japan. As if we need to introduce our director on this, but... This is the reason we chose this. Oh, dude, so good. Well, so Look behind the scenes. This week, we specifically mm. was like, okay, what Mike haven't we done yet? Right. And it's like, well, we got a lot to choose from. <laughs> Gozu's intimidating yeah. because it is... Chock full of like... Straight up Japanese. You need Japanese to know forward. a little bit of, yeah, Shintoism and stuff like that. Happiness of the Katakuris is happiness of the Katakuris. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> um, but then we were like, oh shit, three extremes. That sounds like a good call, especially because I had never seen it yeah. before. Yeah, and I was excited because like, I've been sitting on them for a while. And, uh, you know, of course, we'll get into it a little bit later on. But when you look at, like you said, the people we've talked about and some of the people that are on these other projects, it's like, oof, this is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. So, Takashi Miike, yeah, dude. Like I said, as if we need to introduce him. I mean, we've already talked about him when we reviewed Imprint. Visitor Q, Each of the Killer, a couple of times. And you've already forementioned some of the other films, Happiness of the Katakuris, Gozu. I'll mention Izo. I, I think I've even told you I own MPD, which is Multiple mm-hmm. Personality Detective, which is a television series he did. 
one missed call, like really cool. He did the Dead or Alive series. Like the Immortals, super fucking yep. dope. 13, 13 Assassins. Assassins. Yeah. Oh, and another one I was wanting to mention too. I've been having my eyeball on a film called The Bird People in China. So that's one also I'm kind of curious about, but you over a hundred films. You haven't got there yet. And this maybe might be a minor spoiler, but I'd say it's a small enough detail that it doesn't make sense. If any of you out there are caught up up to this episode, episode five of season two of The Mandalorian, there's parts where they're running around in the city that look eerily similar to running around in the trapped city in 13 Assassins. Oh, cool. Hell yeah. And it made me just really want a fucking Takashi Miike directed episode of The Mandalorian. Oof. You know he would kill it. He's got the spaghetti western chops. Sukiyaki western well, Django is fucking dope. What I was going to say, too, is I know we mentioned it on more than one occasion. I mean, he's done stuff that's family friendly, mm -hmm. you know, so it's not like he can't do it. Right, right. He has done he it. He does. Yeah. He does children's programming. <laughs> I, I mean, dude, he's all over the map, you know, and that's what makes, I think, him a very interesting director. He, he's not just in one, you know, or maybe two different genres. He does it across the board. So that's why he, he he's so accessible. But another thing I didn't want to mention, too, he does make a cameo in a film. Some people enjoy it. Some people don't. But he was in Hostel, where he makes a small That's appearance. Right. That's yeah. right. He says you'll spend a lot of money if you're not careful. Without knowing it, that's probably the first time I ever ran into him. Trying to think. No, I think I, I think I knew him before that, yeah, with some of the films we talked about before. But as far as, like, the appearance, mm -hmm. yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, no, I don't think I had heard one thing about him at the time Hostel came out, since I am just a little bit younger than you. Yeah, I can understand yeah. that, dude. It makes sense. All right, moving forward, we have a couple of writers on this project. We have Bun Saiku and Haruko Fukushima. And Bun, this is really their only film to note, writing credit of note. And Haruko, they have CSI Crime Scene Talks, which is the Japanese version back in 2012. And it looks like a series, I'm going to try my best to say this, is Onsen Waka Okami no Sisujin Suri which is like a teleplay that's got multiple versions of it. So like a numbered series. So that's their body of work. All right. We have cinematographer Koichi Kawakami, and they've got some really cool films underneath their belt. A couple I wanted to make note of when you look at their filmography, such things as the documentary Crash, I thought was really cool. Portrait of the Wind Under the Nagasaki Sky. They are also known for The River With No Bridge and a 1982 film entitled Jealousy Game. We have editor Yasushi Shimomura, and some of their filmography includes the Shinjuku Triad Society. Now, this is somebody we've actually talked about before. Mm. Even though they're going by uh, Yasushi in this one, they also go by uh, Taiji Shimomura. So okay. I think when we reviewed some of our previous films with Takashi, I think we mentioned him by that name. Oh, okay. So that's why gotcha. it's going to be a little confusing. <clears throat> but uh, some other films of note. Rainy Dog, The Bird People in China, something I mentioned earlier. Another film I want to watch by Takashi Miike is a film called Blues Harp. I do mm. want to check that out. Andromedia is another film. He did Audition, Dead or Alive, DOA 2, Visitor Q, like I said. So Tokyo Zombie, another really good film. Izo. So yeah, if you've seen any of Takashi's films, you've probably seen their works, uh, including Sukiyaki Western Django. If I didn't have a real job, I'd be half tempted to start a podcast just to one by one go through God. Takashi's catalog. You'd have over a hundred films yeah. to choose from. I know. I love, there's like two years. That's worth a good of run, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's a good run just on Takashi. 
Yeah. You know, that would be fun for somebody who is really like into his work and just wants to really dissect it. I would love to do it. I just have a real job. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's not including like his television work and all that other stuff too. So mm-hmm. you'll have your hands on it for a bit. All right. So another gentleman we've talked about before, the music was composed by Koji Indo. And we've talked about Koji for a lot of the same films we mentioned before, Audition being another one of them, Visitor Q being another one. We haven't talked about it in terms of reviews, but The Happiness of the Katakuris, DOA, Final, Gozu, One Miss Call, Zebra Man. So like I said, a guy really works a lot with... We need to do One Miss Call, I think, too. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> I mean, I will put it this way, man. Asian horror is slowly becoming some of my favorite horror. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> All right. This was produced by several people. It's Fumio Inui, Kazuo Kuroi, Neoko Sato, and Shun Shimitsu. This was also produced by Peter Ho Sun Shan, which I believe he produced the entire project. Mm, okay. And moving into the actors, we have Kyoko Hasegawa, who plays the lead role of Kyoko. And when you look at some of her films, they include the 2005 film Female. She was also in the 2009 film Rainfall, and more recently, You Shine and The Moonlit Night. All right, we have Atsuro Watabi. He plays dual roles. He plays, I don't think they ever mention him by this name, but it's Yoshi and mm, Hagata, okay. you know? Yeah. But I think it's circus performer, beneficiary, something like that. And editor, I believe, is his other dual role that he plays in this. Okay. Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay. But some things of note from him, he was in the 2004 film Zebra Man. He was also in the film Love Exposure from 2008. He was then the Flowers of War from 2011 and Masquerade Hotel back in 2019. He's done a couple of different television series. And if you've ever played Professor Layton and The Last Spectre in those series of video games, he voices Jean Discole. And I'm I'm not sure how if that's a, an American video game series or if it's exclusive to Japan. Not quite sure. I think most of them, if not all of them, have also been released in the okay. United States. Cool. So, yeah, if you've heard his voice, Desmond Sycamore and Gene Discool. So, cool. And the other two actresses, this is their only appearances, is Mei Suzuki and Yu Suzuki, where they play the roles of Young Kyoko and Young Shoko. That pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup of what these segments entail. Have to give you some warnings for sure in these. All right, well, okay, so... Without spoiling too much. Without but. spoiling too much, there is, with keeping in mind the warnings, <laughs> what I do want to say about this is that although the name of the film is Three Extremes, and there is some extreme content, this kind of overlaps with our next segment, but in case you're trying to decide on whether you want to watch this movie or not, I do feel that this extreme content borders on the lower end to where this is actually probably a really good jumping off point. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Especially for some of, like, this is a great jumping off point for Mike's catalog. I totally agree. Totally this agree. This is a pretty good jumping off point for Park Chan-wook's catalog. Yeah, considering... I can't speak for a fruit chan, but if it's any indicator... And maybe just like a good entry point. There are different levels to extreme, as weird as it sounds. Like, I think for a lot of casual people, extreme encompasses the same thing. But we know that there's a difference between like... I mean, we talked like with Saw and Hostels and stuff like that. But then some other films that completely 
blow past that. There's a difference between like high tension extreme and atros extreme. Oh, yeah, that's a good solid point too. So I would say these three films, short films, are a good introduction to more the high tension side of extreme. No doubt. The quote unquote mainstream extreme. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Whereas we brought up when we talked about the movie, something like grotesque is a good introduction to the little bit harder extreme. Right. And there's still stuff beyond that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a good Not medium to say somewhere that this between. This is an extreme content. No, so, but... now, now that I got all that out of the way, because right. I do want to say that although we have to warn for extreme content, like it is. It, it the falls lower within a certain. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it falls within a certain threshold when you talk about extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you do have to set that up. But uh, where do you want to start? I mean, there's blood and gore. We have to give minor spoilers about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I consider it. there's a big bad one. <laughs> not talk about the big bad trigger warning in the first Jesus part. Christ. So. I know. I was like, man, that's really going to tune a lot of people out. Abortion. Yeah. Abortion is prevalent in the first one. And just kind of uh, harm towards fetuses. Yeah. Very, very taboo. Let's see. Cannibalism. Yes. I guess technically the stranger wouldn't be a serial killer, but all of the stuff you see is the sort of thing you see from like serial killer home invasion type movies. That sort of stuff. Yeah. There's a little bit of weird kid stuff going on in all segments. In all segments, most explicitly hinted at though in box. Correct. Yeah. That one's a little bit more alluded to implied. Do we actually end up with any nudity in this? I don't think Oof. so. <sighs> nothing with like breast or, you know, stuff like that. Dong or nothing like that. Super minor spoiler. A doll does have a vagina. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, whoa, damn. Damn, Japan. <laughs> but we will get to that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll definitely get to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the, like the implication comes in play. Mm-hmm. You can put one on one together. I think that's it, though. Right. They're, I mean, they are technically extreme. There's some like, oh, squeamish stuff with fingers and uh, things like that. I guess technically body horror which is kind of fucked up way of looking at it but yeah but it's there it is there the way it's played yeah and if you're familiar with his work that's who that's from (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can figure that one out (laughs) let's get into talking about it you've been warned name the movie is very extremes don't let it scare you off let's find out how it made a squeal hell yeah how does that make you squeal I'm just going to start recording because we were having way too much fun without fucking mics being on. This might just end up becoming its own segment just because of how much fun we just had going through this. We both like using the Just Watched app to make our job on this easier. Every time we think of a movie, we just pop it in there to find where it's streaming, where we might be able to rent it. Depending on how much it is to rent it, whether we're just going to pirate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it happens. That sort of thing. But there's a little recommendation segment, or not even recommendation, but when you scroll down, you find your movie, and it gives you the people who liked whatever movie also liked. We were looking up a decently fucked up movie, and it said that the people who liked that movie also liked Tom Hanks' Inferno. You know, maybe a little bit to its credit thinking about it now, is like, you know what, I like a lot of Tom Hanks films too, I can see why they like <laughs> All jokes aside, that is the oddball. I haven't scrolled through this yet, but I'm hoping we find some of the same gold with three extremes. Oh, dude. So we can roast. But I'm curious. It says, people who liked three extremes also liked 
Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Makes sense. Makes sense. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Yep. Thirst. Everything's making sense so far. Chaser. I believe that stars Troyman 6, so okay. that super makes sense. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tale of Two Sisters. I Saw the Devil. <laughs> Ichi the Killer. It's like someone going through my filmography. Damn. Ooh. Is this a Mike? Barking dogs never bite? Who is that? Dude, I don't want to say no or yes, because I'm not 100% sure. Oh, no. It's a uh, Bong Joon-ho movie. Oh, nice. Okay. There you go. Okay. There's my dude. There we go. Okay. I mean, that makes sense, makes but sense. it's not one that I've seen and it didn't immediately click, but okay. Martyrs. <laughs> yeah. Which one? <laughs> oh, French. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Tokyo. Yeah. Also a Bong Joon-ho movie. I used to. So far, there's nothing to make fun of. No, it's pretty isn't accurate. As, this isn't as good as the other one. That's <laughs> pretty accurate. A Bittersweet Life, which is a Kim Ji-woon movie. Okay. And Sukiyaki Western Django. Yeah, okay, all that Nothing makes to make fun of in this one, no. but it all makes sense. Okay, that's okay. a little bit better on the algorithm. <laughs> Fuck, well, they did good. The other one was funnier. I didn't mention, we put in 100 Tears, which is a screwed up killer clown movie. It is. Gore fest. And they're like, you might like Dan Brown's Inferno, starring Tom Hanks. Like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's an oddball one. That's maybe a reach. That's why we had to try. Yeah. We had to try. That was fun. It was worth it. I liked it. I'm surprised it didn't recommend Three Extremes 2, also (laughs) known as Three, because this is... I know, Did you read about that? Yeah. All right, so Three dot 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 space extremes is what we're talking about today. It's the sequel... Quote unquote sequel, because it's a more of a spiritual sequel Makes sense, than anything, because yeah. they're all anthology films, to a movie made like two or three years before that I believe was just called Three, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a Bong Joon Ho segment. I'm not positive, but uh, anyway. However, Three Extremes was the one to catch on in the West in a bigger, badder way first. <laughs> so when Three was released in the West, it's often released as. Three Extremes 2. Yep. That's funny, isn't it? (laughs) I think it's on Amazon is Three Extremes 2. Yeah. I actually own it, and it does go by Three Extremes Part 2. So it is confusing. Even though it's the first one. Right. Uh, Let's see here. It's Kim Ji-Woon, the guy from Thailand. I'm not even going to try to say his name. Oh, Kim Ji-Woon, not Bong Joon-ho. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and Peter Chan. So, yeah. Yeah, so the Tale of Two Sisters. Cool. Wolf Brigade. Sweet, sweet. I feel Still. bad that I keep getting them all mixed up. We're trying, dude. We're trying. I do it too. Now that we're into this, I don't think there's any big overarching thing that all three of these are trying to say together. They're just three separately made segments. So we'll just talk about these three separately <laughs> made stories, I think. I think that's a good way of tackling this. Nothing I saw tells me that there's an overarching message to these three. No, I mean, even when you try to make associations, it's super slight, like... They all involve female characters to an extent. The first and the third one more so than the second one, even though she is kind of a a central figure in that plot. But anyway, outside of that, they all kind of tackle different subjects. There's a couple things I like about each individual one, and I do enjoy all of them collectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first segment, as we mentioned before, we got dumplings. And now the gloves are off. These dumplings are made from aborted fetuses. Uh, Let me ask you this. How soon did you figure that out? Like, how soon did it dawn on you that that was what was going on? 
Not as soon as it should have, but still pretty fucking quickly. Yeah. I, I, I think, knew from the get-go it was human of some sort. Right. I didn't know quite until they were talking about the youth, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, of course, the way it carries out, it's spelled out after a bit, but whew. <laughs> My first note about this, just because, like we said, we talked about Bai Ling like a month and a half ago when we talked about the crow over on General Nerdery. And the last time we were bringing up Bai Ling is the fact that she can go to fucking cuckoo whackers crazy town with the best of them. She can go full on Nick Cage or yeah. late career Marlon Brando just as well as anybody else. But she continues to have a career because she can fucking act. And She's she great. was great in this. No, she was great. It almost makes you forget that she was in The Crow in a sense, you know. Mm -hmm. She's like, is this the same actress? Yeah, it is. Almost unrecognizable. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. She's a chameleon when it comes to that. She's really good. And the part she plays, it seems earnest, you know, in like her portrayal of it. And it's interesting, too, because what you learn about her character, you know, is she's not as young as she appears. And there's ways that they depict that. So you said you've seen the full dumplings, right? I have. Actually, I watched it with a buddy, but it had been a hot minute. Because mm. I looked up what the differences are, because there are differences like in this short, you never actually learn her age. You just no, know exactly. she's older. Right, all right. But like I said, it's been so long, it's hard for me to compare them, to be honest, because I've only seen it once. Right, right. Yeah. There's neat things about it. Like, this is the weird thing, and it's kind of the thing we feel like we ran into a little bit with uh, fucking whatever that last Masters of Horror fucking one we did Oh, yeah, was, Cigarette Burns, yeah. Where, like, it's still only, it's like a 40-minute segment. There's only so much you can talk about. <laughs> Exactly. In the end, it's pretty straightforward. Mrs. Lee is going to buy Ling Auntie May because she makes dumplings out of aborted fetuses, <laughs> which apparently keep you young and youthful looking. And she is a former actress who's now afraid of losing her husband. Right. At a point in the story, you find out that he has another mistress. Oh, yeah. It's <clears throat> apparent. She knows it, too. And she wants to keep her husband and keep feeling young and wanted. Exactly. And so she keeps going back for more and more dumplings. She wants to quicken the process. She's impatient. By the end of it, she has regained her youthfulness, but <laughs> needs to keep it going. Yeah, there comes <clears throat> a cost. <laughs> Otherwise, she starts smelling fishy. <laughs> right. She starts to kind of rot from the inside. And... Thanks to her restored youthfulness, she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. Self-aborts to make more dumplings. Dude. <laughs> yeah. So now we got all that out of the way and we can talk about the shit in the middle that we like. No, no I like that because that's, <laughs> that's like straight to the point, you know. Because it's only a 40-minute story it anyway. Is. So. All right. So first time through, my initial probably like 10, 15 minutes worth of watching, mainly because I was high, but I got, I won't say the giggle fits, but I was like, I was smiling a lot because I was like, ooh, this is so fucked up. <laughs> and I kind of like, I mean, I, I do like the subject matter. And not that I like, you know, <laughs> what it's about. But it's <laughs> it's a, an interesting way of, of talking about a taboo subject, showing you things that aren't real. You know, it's all practical stuff. But you get what the whole fucking thing's about. And that's what I enjoy about it because it freaks people out. <laughs> well, out of all of them, uh -huh. this is the only one that feels like it's teaching a lesson of any sort. Yeah. It's not a lesson that most people have to learn. No, but some people need to learn it. 
maybe allegorically. Right, right. It, it is. It, I mean, the whole thing but, is about youth and trying to capture it, you know, and recapture even that, it. This doesn't lean into that too heavily. No, I don't feel no, like no. it's. It's more like you have to sort of sit there and think about that yourself if you want to. Right. But it sort of leans a little bit more heavily on the no. Nah, like this is a straight up story of like almost. Here's the thing. Kind of disappointingly to me, this is a story that feels like it should have some sort of folklore attached. Mm-hmm. I will say this too, because there are probably some things culturally too. I mean, I know dumplings is like a staple, mm-hmm. you know, in Chinese culture. So already there's a lot of things you play cannibalism. I mean, there's numbers of films about that shit, you know, mm-hmm. people eating dumplings with humans in them. But I don't know how many do it with fetuses. <laughs> But this sounds like some sort of fucking dark fairy tale. Yeah, it sounds like yeah, some yeah. sort of folk tale. You could say like, that too, yeah. If you think about replace, some of the stories. Yeah, replace Biling with witch outside town. Right. Even like the Huntsman Gretel, you know, that kind of shit. This story is Eating very kids. reminiscent of a lot of like Western folk tales. That makes sense. But there's no actual folk element to this. No, there's not. There's not. There's very vague, like... They don't explain why May has to sing afterwards. She explains that, that she likes to, but she does it so ritualistically that I, I it did feel like there's something more to it. I felt like when she was doing that, it was almost a way of enchanting, you know? Right. She's feeding, now she's doing it through song. So it's it's almost like Part a ritual yeah. that she has to not that she has to, but she does perform. For whatever reasons, we I'm don't know. I'm wondering if she has to perform it. Like that too, right. It's, it, con- <laughs> you know, it's it's not necessarily that, but it could be that. We don't know for 100% sure. I'm wondering how much of this you caught, mm-hmm. or if it's just me, and people out oh, there, if cool. you're listening, and if you watch this, yeah, hit us, hit us up. up. Let <laughs> yeah, us know what sure. you guys think too. The first time through, I caught a little bit of it, so it might have made me look for it more the second time through. But especially the second time through... The way May describes things and gradually shows Mrs. Lee more and more, it seems like she's intentionally trying to put her off the idea. Mm. Like, if you are going to come and pay me the money, I will supply you. But I kind of am trying to give you the hint, like, you don't want to be doing this. You don't want to be doing this. Like, yeah, I'm going to make sure to describe to you exactly how tender this is so that you understand how disgusting you're being right now. No, that's a good way, because early on, too, when she's doing the description, she's like she does it subtly. It's like, you know, it's good at the two and three months. And she's like, they're really good at the fifth and six months because they you see their hand. So she's given her more descriptions. You try to put her off on the idea. The very first time she describes dumplings. The words and shit, at least to how they're translated, and I think somebody did a fantastic job with the translation because you're able to get these kind of creepy details from it. It's like she's describing a very early fetus with the like slight translucency and Dude, stuff. She, yeah, that's why I was like, you can put that together. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't take much exploring, but you know, if you pay a little bit, you're like, uh oh, what's uh oh, <laughs> what's she talking about? And. <laughs> like, there seems like there's something else at play, too, when, like, she's able to get the lunchbox through without anything yeah. showing up in the x-ray. Like, it feels like there's some supernatural A little bit. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. There was... That's super ambiguous and never quite being latched on You to. just get a little bit, just a, a smattering of it. To me, it seemed like May was going, 
if you're going to keep pushing it, I will do it. But I'm going to keep trying to show you, you don't want this. <laughs> Up until the point later on where she makes sure she sees the fucking fetus. Yeah, exactly. And she does <laughs> run away at first. And I think that's kind of what she was intending. Yeah. I'm trying to fucking get you scared straight. <laughs> <laughs> if there's no better way, I don't know, you know, what is, man. Because if you see that... <laughs> I don't care what you're doing. It's like, that's gross, man. It's mm-hmm. grody, bro. Sorry, baby, but I want to see that. I don't know. It felt like there was some folklore at play here. I agree with you. That actually wasn't at play. I liked it. It just. <laughs> but it you, once again, weird. you were saying, yeah. yeah, if they were to flesh it out, it would take a little bit more time. But I think but it would like, be. I read into how they fleshed it out, and they didn't flesh it out in that way. Like, huh. by Ling, she ends up being the one having an affair with the husband. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, like I said, it's been so long since I've seen. Mm-hmm. I can't remember all this shit. And um, oh. and the wife doesn't even get pregnant. I don't think. Okay. So yeah. she doesn't like self-abort. Like everything in the end ends up a little bit differently. I don't know. I didn't try to memorize it or anything because I hadn't watched it anyway. But I will say this: like going back to just the opening sequence, first time through, I wasn't really paying attention to the message it was trying to say, right? Because you get a mix of kids playing in the street, jumping mm-hmm. rope and shit, and then you see older people hanging out so you're already having a contrast of ages it's, there's no in between at that point it's old people young kids she's the maybe the one in the between mrs lee right because she's the only one in that shot but i was like okay that's that's kind of neat it's already setting up somebody's trying to recapture their youth and that's what the whole point is with this but i didn't expect her at the end to do what she did because <laughs> it did have a cost she was willing to pay it the earlier abortion <laughs> was nastier, though. Yeah. I think they did a great job of doing things with the camera, and it was just the way things were angled. Because I think the second time through, when you see, like, maybe uh, <laughs> you know, some inside stuff, and I'm like, I wonder how much of it's just a guy over the back just pushing stuff into frame. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's why it's like that stuff doesn't bother me. It just it makes me think how they were doing it more so. But you're right. For the uninitiated, hey, it's some gruesome stuff. One of the things I had to write down, though, man, this fucking bitch, Mrs. Lee. <laughs> Biling sitting there making her all sorts of different dumpling dishes. And one of the times she gets done eating, at this point, she knows full well. Oh, she knows what she's eating. Fetus dumpling. <laughs> yeah. And one of the first things she says is, Simmer in broth next time. It'll taste less greasy. Right. She's like, yeah, making a broth. She's like, you're right. It'll capture the juices. <laughs> I mean, like, she's not wrong, but damn, that was rude. <laughs> that was rude. But it kind of makes sense because she's vain. We, you can get that. You can drive that, right? Why else would she be trying to do what she's doing? It's out of vanity. You've already mentioned, too, she was an actress. So there's going to be probably a little bit of that at play, too. She sees herself as young. She even calls her up. When she's taking that bath at her own party where she's stinking and she's getting that weird rash, she's getting all self-conscious and she tells her, she's like, oh, look, turn on the channel too. I see you on the, so she's still fucking with her. You know, look, that's you. I think the scariest thing though about this dumpling segment is how close to modern internet it hits with it (laughs) being about a rich elite Oh, paying dude, for yes <laughs> paying to cannibalize babies oh, for man. immortality holy shit you know <laughs> i will say this and this is not just in horror but i think in film in general 
people make some interesting social commentary. Some is pretty much on the nose. Some is you have to read into it. I think this might be alluding to it a little <laughs> bit, depending on how much you read into that stuff. But I, I felt that watching this a little bit, it's like, ooh, I've heard this before, just in a different this. version. Uh, I've heard it more so in reality as opposed to, in this case, fiction. But make no mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I did feel that way. That's glad you brought that up. And so in this one, one of the things we get towards the very end, mm-hmm. after she does the self-abort and there's a little bit of blood and she <laughs> does the tongue thing. The tongue thing. Yeah. Cut also has a tongue thing. Yeah. Box doesn't, does it? Not with tongues that I'm aware of. Nope. Not that I can think of. I tried. I tried doing the same thing, like seeing what the connection or what the thread was. And that's another, th- that tongue thing, though, is another thing that felt folklory, that felt folky. She's no I, longer pure human. I'm She's saying, I think there, there might be some things culturally that it's in it that we, we might not be keen to at this point. Mm-hmm. But I do feel that way. Like there's some supernatural folklore mythy kind of stuff going on they're thrown at you subtly i don't know what the you know complete significance is but i think you're doing a good job too of deriving from it yeah i don't know this one's kind of like i said you you can put allegory on this one it's played really straightforward though right Biling's great i don't know how much more i have to say necessarily no. on dumplings. um there's a few things I'll, without yeah, getting too geeky got? i will say i loved the score in this segment mm. because it's hitting the right notes, like in the beginning too. It's very ominous, and you know something's not right. And then even in certain scenes where it's wistful, and it's still not right, <laughs> you know. So it's playing on the on those kind of threads too. It's like in the moments where she's feeling exalted and she's regaining her youth, and you know she's getting to have sex with her husband and all that stuff, like making him drink water out of her mouth. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I knew you guys were freaks. I knew it. <laughs> but uh, I like the score I thought was really good. I thought the cinematography was really well done, too. There was one scene the second time through it. I was like, oh, okay, that was cool. Is the apartment complex, the way it's built up. I was like, I wonder if he was doing that on purpose or maybe I'm reading to it. It's like you could look at it with like a birth canal, you know. And uh, another thing I liked uh, that was gross, but I thought it was cool that they put in here was the dudes on the bus sitting in the blood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's fucked up. That was kind of cool. My first time through, I was a little <laughs> bit too stoned, and I didn't put together who was sitting on the bus before that. And I gotcha. just thought that segment was a little bit weird. Yeah, because there's a real quick cut <clears throat> between Mrs. Lee having sex with her husband, and mm-hmm. it looks like she might be going down on him. And then you see a pool of blood, and then it's the girl... Who's sitting on the bus? I, let me and ask, I was oh, wondering sorry. if that was supposed to mean that she bit his dick off in retaliation. That, for dude, exactly. That's what I assumed at first, first time through, of course, because it's like, oh shit, yeah, that's her revenge. She's getting revenge. Mm-hmm. But no, that's not what happened. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, yeah, that transitional shot was really neat. But what it leads to is that young girl dying out in the street, which was weird because when uh, they go visit Aunt May, Eileen. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's like, this is such and such as daughter or family member or something like that, right? But the way it sounded when the cops came to that apartment because that woman retaliated and said that her husband's inside. She like sliced up her husband. And we know that that young girl's grandfather was the one who impregnated her. Right. So I was like, is that that girl's grandma? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he got remarried or something. I don't know. I just thought it was a weird way of wording it in that. It confused me a little bit, but I was like, that's not really important. That's not the important part. 
It was the, the series of events that were happening at that time. Was it the young girl who was impregnated by the grandfather? Yeah. Or was it, it the was. one after her? Because there was Ugh. another fetus after hers, wasn't it? I, I think it's the same girl. I'm almost certain. I could be wrong, but I think it's the same girl. Because I thought hers was good because it was from a young, clean schoolgirl. And then when Mrs. Lee was like, I need your most potent. No, oh, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. The one that, the, the stillborn. Mm -hmm. I believe that because she, the way she was explaining to her, I think she was selling her a bill of goods. Like, oh, this is a clean one until she was breaking out. You know, that's what she's like. What did you? She's like, oh, yeah, that was a cursed baby. <laughs> it was a boy. It was fresh. It was good. It was nutrient. But she didn't explain to her that it was cursed. She had to maybe make her experience it to once again get her out of it. But she's going too far with it mm -hmm. at the same token. I mean, maybe I'm reading it wrong. I don't know. But that's what I derived from it. I, maybe I'm missing it. Either way, they yeah, eat either babies way. all over the place. <laughs> they have no shame in their game. You're right. It's just baby eating. It's not the same director, but like I said, the, how I said this movie's a good stepping stone, mm -hmm. this is a good stepping stone into imprint. Oh, no doubt. It, as soon as some of this baby stuff was happening, I was like, whoa, yeah, I can see why Takashi's on this and why they chose these guys for each one of these segments now. It makes sense because they don't mind tackling these subjects. And on top of it, the cannibalism part, too. <laughs> like, damn, that's even more. And then the... Uh, Right, what would you call that? That's the thing. When you say eating babies, that sounds bad enough, right? That sounds bad enough. Yeah. But when you add in the fact that it's not just eating babies, <laughs> that's a human. Right, right. <laughs> it's a fetus. But it's a fetus. <laughs> and then you self-indulge in your own baby stillborn, whatever. Yeah, I'm up. saying it's a human in the fact that like it's oh, made from no, human tissue, right, right, right. not in the way that like I'm fucking pro-life. No, I know you. No, no, no. no I, damn. Someone could really like read this fucking segment wrong and take it that way. Like, this is pro life, sorry. Pro life. And it's like, no, I don't think no. Uh, but I could see someone fucking misreading that. That's fucking weird. No, no, we're not. I, I'm not saying I'm advocating for that. But what it is, it's just like, it's weird that you. I, I don't think I've ever seen a film in the West that will tackle that. Mm -hmm. In any matter. Okay, so... <laughs> Shit. What percentage of each fetus is Aunt May actually selling off, and how much is she keeping for herself? Yeah, all right. What's With, her stash? I know she... I, I know. It's eluded, I think, because there is a scene right after she's like the midwife for the abortion mm -hmm. where she's getting all horned up. She's like touching herself in the doorframe. And that's where Mrs. Lee was, she took off because she got repulsed, but she came back upstairs. She's like, all right. And I was thinking that. I was like, she's got to have some. And well, that's the thing. Like, Aunt May has been able to keep this going oh, because yeah. Look at her. she's a back alley abortionist <laughs> and yeah. has a hookup in the hospital. Yeah. Miss Lee's fucked because she doesn't have an all the time hookup. No, no, that is her plug. That's her plug. Yeah. And now her plug's just been fucking raided by the cops. What do you do? And she has to go her own way. So that's the biggest reason why Mrs. Lee's fucked at the end, because there's no way for her to keep her habit going. So she's going to rot from the inside and turn into some sort of monster. I don't know what that fucking tongue is supposed to mean, but. Exactly. That's, you know, what we were talking about, too. How much of this is based off of what, you know, folklore, myth, whatever. May's been doing this for at least 30 years. Yeah, you would assume. Because I think they reveal her age in the full cut to be like 
mid sixties or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, even with her little, you know, statue figurine, whatever mm -hmm. the song she sings in the photos, you can tell she's much older. She's good because she has the hookups. Like she knows where to get this <laughs> yeah, shit. But shit. that also means she's not dumb. So how much of each fetus is she keeping for herself? All right. I know there is a saying that says, don't get high on your own supply, but I don't think that's the case here. No. You know, any good chef too usually tastes their own dish before they serve it to their customer. So through proxy, she's got to have at least, I don't know, who knows, a quarter, if not more, of what she makes. Well, and look, when she's serving, like, Mrs. Lee these dishes, she's, like, Lee's getting, like, six to eight dumplings max. We're seeing her mince up the meat with garlic and all the fucking veggies and shit. We know that half of what's in those dumplings is fucking veggies. Right. Not fetus. Yeah, it's kind of like watering it down, but not, it's just, in this case, including other stuff, yeah. And you would think that at a certain point, with some of the earlier ones... Like, there's not enough cartilage or bone form oh, yet that yeah. she's probably just chopping that entire fucker up. <laughs> I was going to say, with that, too, with that, you know, with that dilution, we don't know what a dose is. Right. You know, we're just, uh, at this case, we're just assuming things. But I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. You know, it's a, it's a hypothetical, of course, but, but it's it still seems, a good question. It kind of seems like at most, I would say at most, she's actually oh, giving Mrs. Lee, like, I think a just, quarter. Yeah, it's just a little small one. doses. Yeah. There's no way she's yeah, giving her whole thing. the other three quarters Man, for her. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you're the one getting it and having to do all the work, you're not going to just give it away willy-nilly. Come on now. Even at a cost, you're going to keep some mm -hmm. because you know its potency. You know what it's worth to you as well. So, yeah, it would only make sense. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of like slicing it up. Like, you're, <laughs> it's like some drug terms. <laughs> but that's kind of what she's doing, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't give you all my goods yet. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, I think it's, I think that's the case. <laughs> okay, now that I've talked about minced infant, I suppose. <laughs> At dumplings. <laughs> do, you yeah. think, do you think they continue to have any power once they're born? Like, is it the same to eat uh, a baby as it is to eat a fetus? Poof, I don't know, man. <laughs> There's levels of this shit. I know there is. Maybe. <laughs> that's all I can say. Maybe, probably, but maybe. I guess we could go ask the witch in the witch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And that's why I think, too, like you were saying, I think there's just enough alluding to those things where you can probably attach that. Like, she might be a witch, but like you were saying with the film, uh, and this, maybe. She does witchy shit. <laughs> All right. Cut. I like to cut for a couple of different reasons. One being, of course, our boys in this from I Saw the Devil. Yeah, Lee Byung-hun. Yeah, dude. So that's already a plus. And two, of course, the director for Old Boy and Lady Revenge. You know, I'm a fan. I know you are, too, of some South Korean films that were reviewed. Like, they do a pretty fucking good job, man. So this is going to be a fun one already. And it's completely different from Dumplings, too. So you're going into a different story, different setting, etc. This one's weird for me because in some ways I think this is my favorite. And in a small way, in the long run, it's also the most disappointing to me. Okay. This one gets fucking cuckoo bonkers. Real quick. It doesn't take long. This is the one that I expected from Mike, if that Consi makes sense. You know, no, considering. Because he's used to bouncing around off of different genres, including weird absurdist things. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting basically this story, but from Mike. <laughs> yeah. I was not expecting this to come from the South Korean segment. Yeah, yeah. It is an interesting take on this. Like, it gets cuckoo bonkers. 
And I think that's what leads to the fact that it's in some way the most disappointing because it's really clear upon second viewing that it's way too ambiguous to get any sort of clear meaning oh from. no doubt no doubt there's no answers to be found there's just more questions and different ways to think about right it. the thing i got more out of this than anything was i think it was it's kind of a stab at like social commentary once again you know it's like in a way like parasite they do share that commonality like if you look at parasite and its social commentary of you know middle class people like the extra who get buried a little bit by the affluent as this guy was explaining why the director against all these things against all these stereotypes you studied america blah you know you come from a wealthy family you have this success but most people he's met that are like that are assholes except for him he's a good guy whereas you know this guy's all the poor people in film are portrayed as good people and vice versa whereas he's not that <laughs> you know and so already there is this clash and societal norms and stereotypes and all this other stuff at play here. And that's kind of what I drive from it in vanity. Once again, narcissism, all this other stuff. All of that does make sense. And when you put it like that, it makes the movie sound a lot more straightforward. But than no, it it's not what happens in the. I mean, it, do, so, it does, but not. I was going to say, I'm now going to try to also explain why this movie is so fucking ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one other reason why it's disappointing for me, and this one I'm not sure on, because it slightly depends on how I end up interpreting this movie, and I haven't actually landed on a full interpretation yet. <laughs> okay. Or this clip. No, no, I understand. But by default, like we've talked about in other circumstances, when you have more than one of something, one has to be the worst. No doubt, yeah. This might be my least favorite Lee Byung-hun part. Yeah, I mean, it is a departure from... And when you compare this to I Saw the Devil, it's like, what? <laughs> Not that I don't like it. No, 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 but I know what you're but saying. one of them it's has different. to be the least favorite. This might be my least favorite Lee Byung-hun yeah, role. Yeah, I can see why you say that, too. Makes sense. <laughs> okay, so now this is where the movie gets super fucking ambiguous, and you don't know what the fuck you're actually supposed to get from it. Mm -hmm. Because it starts off, the director's on a film set, making a flick about a vampire who's biting this guy and that's its own little thing in the beginning and it's actually kind of fun i really shit. like that yeah that's cool and it needs to be brought up because of something that comes back later which adds to the ambiguity and he's talking runs into some people on the way out has some interactions that make more clear context way later on as well even though they're still really fucking wacky and this was when i was like this isn't the takashi Mike bit i know right yeah because this is kind There's of takashi some... Mike. All right, to make it, I guess, put it in a box, I felt like he was doing a good job of mixing comedy with the absurd. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like, there's absurd moments in this comedy that he's doing. So he leaves, is calling his wife on the way. You see him with another girl at some point, but she's fucking passed out. Right. When he's talking to his wife on the phone, though, he's like, you should have come seen the film set. It looked just like our house. Right. He's setting those things up. You get to the house. It is literally just like the film set. Yeah, the piano, the tile, all of it. Down to the smallest detail. Right. He wasn't lying. <laughs> and he's wandering around a little bit, gets accosted by the stranger, mm -hmm. comes to... The set, the stage, yeah. Yeah, comes to... Well, here's the thing. The implication is that he's still in the house until 
Yeah. He says that the film set is just like his house. And so you don't know what his house is actually like. And this film plays it for the absurd and the literal because he comes to in his house with his wife, with the stranger, and he's attached to one of the walls and the stranger goes through his little spiel. And you've mentioned some of that and we'll get into it some more too. But you end up finding out that the way he's attached through the wall is because the room he's in is on a soundstage. Yeah. <laughs> just like the set. But it's implied that it's his house that's just like I know, it's, the set. The thing that was kind of <laughs> fucking with me a little bit here too, and this is kind of, I'm not going to spill everything over, but to and get to the he, end, I was wondering how much of this was like, is this director pulling like, you know, like some weird meta thing, like where he's acting inside of his own film? Well, but that, that's, no. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, though. Well, that's at, at the thing. Point. I think you can interpret it that way, too, because when you're looking well, maybe, into yeah. the symbolism used within the room, there's a painting that shares some of the same decor as the room. All right, let's go with this, because I think there's something I can tie it back to as well. Mm -hmm. So let's keep running with this. By the end of it, through the different tortures and stuff, he loses his mind and it's hard to describe. What it looks like is that his world is turned inside out. He is trapped by the outside based on what they're showing as being outside the room he's in and what they're showing as being inside the room he's in. Yeah, yeah. And because of this flip in his mind, he kills the wrong person. Yeah. That's as succinctly as I can break down the actual action that happens. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I was going to say... One of the things the second time through it really caught my eye in this, and it happens during the opening sequence where the girl's doing the, her vampire thing and he's going through the motions, but it's when they're looking at the monitors, right? And he's waiting for her to throw the blood up. And as soon as she does, he yells cut. And there's a really quick cut. And if you look at it, it looks like a title card with a finger where the two, they look like cutouts of a, of a finger next to the piano. And the cut is where the ring finger's at. So that's what makes me think maybe he is acting in his own film and it's like a meta critique of his, maybe his feelings. The director's character's reactions to things aren't normal. It's like he's a bad actor. Right. Even his gags, he's putting gags and the guy points it out too. He's like, you're resorting to gags in your film and he farts. Mm -hmm. There's a burp from the vampire. <laughs> so there's stuff like that. And then once again, like I said, when he's chained to the wall, it's implied to be that his house is exactly like the set. Yeah. Down to the fact that absurdly, there's the frozen vampire dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck? It scares him. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Like, it's also ambiguous, though, that there's no good answers to be found. No, like, and that's where you were saying it's ambiguous because... You can take it straight on its head. Right, that he's being captive and this you're dealing with a fucking weirdo but obviously you have the mental breakdown at the end how do you interpret that especially hey. with the visuals that are given it's just absurd that's some of the parts why i like it and it's mainly through the extra and what he does he stole the show <laughs> he's stranger so, is fucking he's brilliant. so good dude he was really good i'm glad you say that there's the several dance things dance might have been my favorite thing in this entire anthology that's one of my notes it's like his dance sequence is one of my favorite bits in the entire anthology because it's so absurd. <laughs> it's funny because he's calling him on his bullshit. Mm -hmm. The painting is what really caught my eye. 
Because usually when you see something like that, and it so perfectly mirrors what you're seeing on screen, it's like when we talked about Hereditary. When you open in on the model house, right. and it's such a perfect reproduction, it's a visual clue that somebody is in charge. Right. There's an outside presence. There's an outside yeah. presence that created this. So when in the room you have a painting that has the exact same floor and I think a couple of the same tables as the room that you're yeah. actually in, yeah. then that's supposed to imply there's an outside presence that's controlling Controlling this. it, right. I think that's, man, in terms of film, I think that's a good way of kind of explaining it a little bit too. Even trying to break through that ambiguity because it's there, you're right. I think a lot of people could just read it, you know, right on the nose like, oh, it's like I said, it's this guy who gets kidnapped, a director, he has to watch his wife, get her fucking finger sliced off, try to kill that kid's son, things as a girl. <laughs> that was fucked up. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that. So yeah, that whole the story actual torture that's going on is like Stranger is performing for the director plus critiquing him on directing the way he's living him, his life yeah. and yeah, directing him, giving him line readings. And he's chopping off one of his wife's finger. His wife is a professional pianist. It changes a couple times, but it ends up landing on killing this girl that's tied to the couch. You end up finding out that the girl is actually his son, who he, you tied into the fact that he admitted earlier that he had a hard time killing his son, even though he killed his wife right before he right. came out to do all this shit. Yeah, exactly. And there's a few things I think I do want to note in this. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I think this one did a better job of playing on the motif of threes. Mm. And this is why I say this. There's a line that the director says when he's making his confession about the wardrobe girl that we find out was the one in the car on his drive home. He says he's been having an affair with her for three years. When he's explaining how many times they had sex in the motel, he's like, two times, three hours. Oh, no, no, three times in two hours. Well, dude was also king of the fucking humble brag. Right, he was. <laughs> But then there's also a line he says to his wife. He's like, I mean, she eventually she gets more cut off, but he's like, you still have seven fingers. So initially she only had three cut off. They're playing a good job with threes. I also think the um, sins of the father, mm. like the extras confession was about being poor, having a drunken dad, beating the shit out of him and his mom and all that stuff. And then he's like, oh, I'm taking after my dad. I'm doing the same thing. I beat my wife. I think of you when I'm doing it. I couldn't kill my son, even though I killed my wife. Now, my son's going to carry it on because what does the kid say at the end? I want to take revenge. You guys are scumbags. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what his dad set him up to be. All that stuff, you know? So the three, the grandfather, the son, the grandson. <laughs> yeah, so maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I think he did a good job of at least playing with that motif of threes. In some ways, Cut is absolutely my favorite after I was just ripping it for being ambiguous. But no, but I know what you're saying, though, yeah. It might be my one of my favorite bottle episodes of all time. Like, 95% of it takes place in just this one set room. Exactly. One and Park Chan-wook makes all the use of that room. I Absolutely. It is beautifully shot, and the room itself feels like it's brought to life with all the different angles there, and stuff. Right. He There's finds a it lot of detail. All the different shit. It makes it truly entertaining to watch just a man chained to a fucking wall. Not chained, but... No, no. He was tethered by, like, this band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was I, all strung up with wires and stuff. I did think that they were going to show that whenever he was pulling it, that it was actually, like, 
choking the mistress or something. Mm, yeah, like there's more at play than just him getting bounded back to the wall, yeah. Or that when the wife was finally ungagged, that it was going to reveal that she was actually the mistress that didn't know that he had a wife. Right, dude. All right, let me ask you this too, because the line that the extra slash stranger says as he's dying, if you read into it, it's like, that's a weird way or last words to have, which I think it plays more into like, this might be him actually, like it's actually a film they're shooting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, you know, he's like, he's bleeding out, he's got this huge thing and he's like... He says, how about that? What, for example, I'm like, what? What? Well, that also reminded me a little bit of Battle Royale. Yeah, Beat wild. Takeshi at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was just an interesting thing to say. Yeah. And then even that's ambiguous, depending on how you read it. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any good, solid answers to be found in this movie. No. I think but this I one is think pretty it's... ambiguous. It's fun if you want to think about the questions. I think so. And otherwise, it's just a really fun, dark, dark oh, man. comedy horror. Yeah, you're right. And if you just take it for that, yeah, I think you're going to have fun regardless. Like I said, some of my favorite bits was just him getting into character, like trying to show him, was like, do you recognize me now? Doing his whole dress up as his extra characters and then doing that dance line. I was like, he was being extra at the end. I was like, this is so funny, man. <laughs> But yeah, he did a great job. He really did steal the performance in that segment. He fucking killed it, dude. Yeah, yeah, he was fucking great. So, I mean, I did enjoy it. I don't know how much... I don't even know if I want to rank them all because, you know, they're all different, but we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely get to that. All right, so score it was not bad. I mean, there was some like some classical stuff. I don't think it stood out as much as Dumplings. I'll put it that way. But yeah, the set design and stuff, oof, on point, dude. Mm -hmm. The use of the camera angles, like you were saying, it was really well shot. I really did enjoy that. And yeah, I thought it was a clever story. Box? Okay, yeah, Box, Japan. This is our most ambiguous Mike since Visitor Q. Man, yes, it is. I've tried reading into it. Yeah, this one, I like it. It's wild. Okay, so I ended up with like the least notes on this one just because I didn't know what the fuck to write down right all i was doing is just trying to write you know what's going on during this story that's so i could try to make sense of it so we need to unpack this a little bit first off despite what we're being shown the entire thing at no point could they have actually been assistance to that guy in the way that it is shown oh yeah i don't know <laughs> i know what you're saying there's one article i did read that i think it makes some sense of it where you can read it as like different dream states, depending on who you believe is telling that dream sequence. Mm. Even though it's shared, there's differences in those dream sequences. So even that still is like, Oof, man, you got to read a lot into that. But yeah, it is a dream sequence opening up and it's just quick snippets of what's going on in the dream sequence. Like a guy's bearing a box in the middle of winter, it looks like. It appears that maybe somebody's in the box. There's definitely somebody wrapped up in plastic of some sort who we don't know it yet. And then the character Kyoko wakes up and I did write, it's kind of paraphrased, but she's like, the dream always ends there. And then she wakes up and then a guy visits her. I don't know what he was at first. It's like, maybe he's a businessman. It kind of looks like that. A lawyer maybe. And then, but because he says manuscript is like, oh, maybe he's a publisher or an editor of some sort. 
you know, and she touches his face and there's already a trunk in that room. I'm like, uh oh, I started to think of like the movie seven. I'm like what the fuck's in the box? Right. <laughs> you know, what is this box that they're alluding to? But the whole point is, is like, she's kind of distant, even though she's interacting. I thought it was interesting where he touches her. I was like, oh, he fucked up. She's just, you know, whatever she was doing. She walks out of frame and he's still talking to her and he has a present for her. And then he exits the frame, but they still hold it on that scene, you know, or they don't go to them. I was like, I wonder, that's kind of interesting. Why did he do that? You don't typically do that when mm-hmm. you have two characters walking out of frame. So early on, it started making me think like, what are these connections? Because I didn't want to start reading spoilers and stuff. I wanted mm-hmm. to, to take, try to take it in. But anyway, so that goes on. And then as he's leaving, he sees a, a girl. <laughs> I was like, damn, Japan, you guys love your kaidans. They love ghost stories. So it made me wonder how much of this is like a real ghost story and to what degree. Right. You know, and then, of course, you know, it plods along a little bit. She confronts what appears to be her a ghost of her sister. Because it does play a lot like a ghost story. But that's because realistically, most of this story is fictitious. Right. It's a dream sequence of some sort or just made up completely. Yeah. What she's telling herself in some way. Right, right. Yeah. Whether a dream or, or just what she's just telling herself, like you were saying. Sort. Yeah, exactly. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. So where are we at? Sorry. Like, <laughs> no, no. It, it's like, all right. So she sees her sister on the stairs. Her sister mm-hmm. is walking up the stairs as a guy is coming out and all that stuff. And she confronts her and she tells her she's sorry. And, you know, she does the whole head spin shit. And then she tells her sister, uh, the ghost of her sister tells her, it's hot. I'm burning. I'm like, oh, shit. And then she gets lifted up in the elevator. And then they do another sequence where it cuts and you see the two young girls, which is implied it's her and her young sister when they were younger performing for some people in a tent. And that act was fucking cool. That shit was dope as fuck. (laughs) I was like, I don't care what you say. That shit was dope as fuck. But. It started making me think a little bit too much of imprint at that time, too. And all the costumes that they oh. wear are fucking killer. Uh, you don't ever have to worry about, like, costume design, set design, any of that shit with Takashi ever. Like, he's going to nail it. The people he works with are going to nail it. Fucking Higata. Then, later on, when she decides to street perform for an That was really an cool. Evening. Even later on, when he has the fake face of his own face on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really cool. All of that looked so fucking cool. Man, you know, that's solid. Yeah, I mean, it's moments like that. It's very profound, you know, especially when you can capture it on film like that. And you don't even have to use a lot of sound. There's moments where there isn't any sound. It's just capturing the person on frame. You know, I was like, man, that's this dude's fucking <laughs> stupid good. Yeah, so there's a lot of that. Like I said, I did like that. The contrasting with the snow, too, in some of the scenes, you know, I thought that was a nice take. You know, I don't know if you really ever see that a lot in his films either. I mean, you know, like there are some, but and I don't know to this extent, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that was a good touch on using some of that, that land. Did we escape. ever get any, did we get a bunch of feathers anywhere? He likes to do a bunch of feathers falling through air. Oh, um, no. Usually kind of quickly, not like super focused in on, but. I'm trying to think of anywhere in there. If, if there were, I, I didn't see it. I don't think I paid attention enough. I did like the use of, of course it's symbolic, but the roses, mm-hmm. white and red. Mm-hmm. You know, all that stuff, even the blues and a lot of the sequences, too. So there's some significance with colors here as well. All right. So we get the flashback to the magical act. That's cool. That was. Afterwards, we find out. Well, we don't find. Uh, Yeah. We'll get that. Uh, Okay. So after that, we find out that 
Kyoko felt that Higata was favoring her sister, gave her a necklace, was giving her a Some lot praise. more affection yeah. and praise overall. So when Shoko's training at one point, Kyoko locks her into the box that she was training in. And she's just like, look, just for one night, let me like go be the one that's loved and we'll come back. I'll fucking unlock it. You can come out. We'll go back to the way things were. Just let me have this. Yeah, just this one night. Yeah. Higata sees it happen, gets fucking pissed. Slaps her a little bit. Slaps her a little bit, goes to rescue. Kyoko. You have to mention the dart because it is. Kyoko gets the dart and fucking scars him up, knocks over the fucking lamp accidentally sets the box on fire. I know. I was like, oh, shit. So then you're like, okay, so that's where the box comes from. Makes from sense. the fucking, the nightmare before, because she's continually having this nightmare and shit. Yeah, since then, Kyoko is haunted with guilt, right? Yeah, you can totally read into that. And she also notices that her publisher looks pretty much exactly like yep. Higata, except doesn't have the scar. That's why she's probably looking at his face like the way she was. Okay, so then she goes back to the old circus, right? Well, let's see here. Somewhere along the way, she gets an invitation. Oh, right, right, right. right to, go back. to go back. And she does. She takes it up on it. You know, it, she has these moments where she's going, she keeps like revisiting certain sites. Yeah, and then she does. She goes to it and the tent's there. And when she goes inside, she sees the charred box on stage. She's, you know, she's very apologetic and... There was this misunderstanding because of what you've already mentioned, right? And she eventually, like, takes a sneak peek in that box. And we don't see it, but it's implied that she's horrified or terrified or mm-hmm. draws her back. But then that's where it looks like, who is it, Hagata slash the editor, whomever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> Appears. Whoever. I mean, yeah, exactly. And there's a little bit of, of both going on. From him, like he was explaining to her that he did have affection for her, he did have a necklace for her, but because it's implied, like because of the events that transpired, he never had the chance to show her that. Which I'm going to point out, especially after we just got done watching a little bit of Midsummer, I don't think that's the case at all. I, don't I think that's Christian being reminded that it's Danny's birthday. You know what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. That's what As like, I know. Just, oh, we're going to get into the fact that he's an abusive prick. I say, especially ooh, some of the shit we learn. Yep. Yep. Because <laughs> it is a fucked up shit. But that's what's happening. Like he's does feel like he's gaslighting her and then he's trying to embrace her, but he's also like admonishing her too for what she did and making her see and all this other stuff, you know, mm-hmm. wrapping her in the plastic. And so, once again, all that stuff starts to make sense because of the way that what happened earlier. So is this more snippets of the dream is what I'm getting at? Right. He, well, he gets her in the plastic. Starts to bury her box, again, right? Buries her. And she comes out of it. Like, I don't mean like literally out of the box. She like comes out of her dream state. <laughs> and we find out that Kyoko and Shoko have been conjoined since birth. Right. Exactly. And... Higata Yoshi, or her publicist, are the same person. Yeah. And do we have a clear understanding of their actual relationship to her? I don't know, man. Like I said, because of the way things play out and because of that use of the quote-unquote dream logic, I I don't know, it's weird. Because she she does say this when she wakes up for the last time and she is conjoined. And she makes the remark, she's like, in reality, we've always been joined together. 
And then she says, but then our dreams differ slightly. So because they're conjoined, they're going to share things. And that's the thing I knew with twins and the way that stories are told with twins. Mm -hmm. We did it with Gemini and other stuff is that they have shared experiences, even though they're different experiences, they still have like such shared dreams, shared thoughts, what have you. So even though they might share certain dreams together, they are going to vary, but which one is telling the dream and at which moments are they telling the dream and whose dream is it? <laughs> you know, that's why I like it too. It's super ambiguous. All right. So like I, I mentioned earlier, now that we've gotten through the story and how it unfolds. <laughs> yeah. So Kyoko and Shoko could not have been in the circus in the way it appears in any of those flashbacks. No way. No way. No way. How much of those flashbacks are real? Real as it happened. I do feel mm. like all the flashbacks are telling an emotional truth. I, I agree. I agree. But factual, like 100%, I don't think any of them are. I mean, I would say like their performances and stuff, if they're conjoined, if they're not they're doing the circus, that. they're probably... The freaks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know you know what I'm saying. But that's probably what they were. The one conjoined... of us. One of us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, I know we have to tread lightly here, man. It's the age we live in. But I think that's more akin to what they were probably were their act was you know the but freak show if they were even in the circus we I, don't know that maybe that's how they feel maybe that's how they were treated so kyoko and shoko in the flashbacks are pretty much the same they're identical twins mm -hmm. we know that's not the case no and no, especially what we see <laughs> shoko is like a six-year-old hanging off of kyoko that's weird isn't it well, I mean, that guy says that too. I think right there before she wakes up, he's like, I have the 25-year-old Kyoko and the 10-year-old Shoko. And that's how they wake up together. Like, she still has a 10-year-old sister attached to her. or She's a grown woman. Yeah, what? That's weird already. So we have to assume that there's always been some difference, although it probably wasn't as measured of a difference when they were young. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because I think if she was proportionally smaller than as a baby, she probably would have been too small to live. Right. You I, know I, what I mean? You know, I started thinking of Belial in Basket Case. Yeah. It's like, how much was she akin to that? Probably not a whole lot. I'm just reading too much. And so this is where it starts to get weird because I don't know if this is going to say more about me, <laughs> about the way I read this scene, <laughs> or what was actually being shown oh, yeah. in the movie. <laughs> But the way I read it is that Yoshi Higata is some sort of parental figure to her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that. Some kind of guardian or some sort or something like that. I would say probably guardian more than an actual parent. I think he probably would have been presented different. I mean, if it, he they kind of list him as a parent. beneficiary in some of like some of the notes and stuff. So okay. of what you can assume maybe they were sold off too to him as a part of that freak show circus thing going on. I don't know. Maybe that's implied a little bit, perhaps. So I feel like the implication between some of what Kyoko says plus what happens with the really surreal moment with Higata, the doll, <laughs> how it's connected to Kyoko. Yeah, yeah. And how the segment, like her flashbacks to the thing that didn't happen, but it's right, emotionally right. true, and how Higata would treat them different. That's it feels like Higata would sexually abuse Kyoko, but not Shoko. 
But because of the difference with Shoko and the fact that she was underdeveloped would heap extra praise on her that half for being like you're the good girl and stuff yeah i think you're right dude because i was thinking when that's playing out that sequence with him manipulating the doll and hoarding it as well but sexualizing it all in the same token i think that is probably the fact because she's reacting to it in her adult version of herself so it does feel like she was probably the one who was sexualized. Maybe that's why she's drawn it back from his touch at the beginning and stuff like that. You know, I can see that. And the box is, I don't know. I mean, obviously she couldn't have locked her sister in a box and no. killed her. And her sister Do you think it's more of a metaphor? Alive. I think it's a metaphor. I do think she probably tried to perhaps kill her sister. Yeah. And maybe that's why they're in some sort of asylum. But yeah. she can't vocalize enough. Like, she's obviously broke. She's telling these... Man. Her backstory is you one that we know doesn't earlier exist, too. That's right? Funny. Yeah, yeah. Like, her backstory is one that we know doesn't exist because of what Dude, we know yeah. about her by the end of the movie. Exactly. So if they're in asylum at the end, then the true horror might be that she's not able to vocalize enough of these things in a way that makes sense so that her former guardian can't keep visiting her Oof. the man who abused her yeah that's keeping her in this state and keeping her from making amends with her sister wow. yeah where she's in this lonely cut off box where she wants to be able to apologize but like you said maybe she can't you know but she's not emotionally there either that or real life Yoshi Higata isn't actually the person who abused her, but she is putting those feelings onto him. Projecting. Yeah. Projecting those onto him and isn't moving forward because of that. You know, I think too with him playing maybe dual roles, like the editor. Possible triple roles. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> maybe just in this case, I'll just play on the dual role, is maybe each one of the girls rejecting their fantasy of their ideal guy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they both, of course, are attracted to Hagata, to, you know, to whatever degree. But she's also, why else would she put that figure onto the editor, you know? To me, it feels like maybe she was writing a memoir of some sort. Okay, how about this? So Hagata was the more parental figure. And what if beyond mm -hmm. just her possibly trying to do something to hurt Shoko... What if he tried to do something to hurt both of them? I guess they both grew to a point where, like, it didn't get them off, basically, is what I'm, I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I felt like that kind of came through in that last scene where she's like, okay, and now when he's gaslighting her at the end and actually did bring the jewelry and they start making out and getting hot and heavy, but then he still covers her with the plastic and shit. And that's when he's like, you only meant something to me together. Right. As a whole. I don't know. I, I, I think I, I lost where I was going with that, okay, but it, it kind of felt to me like that scene was kind of him being like, it only does it for me when you're together, but now you're basically to a point where like, I can't, do I can't do this to you. Yeah. So I tried to hurt you instead. And maybe that's what put her in asylum. Mm. I could see that. Yeah, her uh, being rejected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, you're right, because she's outgrown what... Or she was rejected by him because right. she tried to hurt Shoko. 
Right, right. I can see that, man. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. It's, <laughs> and so it's, it's layered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a layered story. And so now, like, if the guy in the end is like her doctor of some sort, and she's in some sort of asylum, because that didn't look kind of like normal. No, I like. I thought maybe lawyer. No, I think yeah, it looked more like something you would wear in a facility or you know what have you. Then she's could be both projecting onto him the father role and is not opening up, right, where, but uh, is also her publicist in that he's the one telling her story, as it were, I think as that's she a good point. with the opening up that she has done. Yeah, she's mixing all these these men into you know, like the projecting onto all these different figures. And maybe the Yoshi is where she needs to get to. That makes but sense. But then that last fight might also indicate that if that is the case, then maybe her doctor has also started abusing her, which is its own horror. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when yeah. the fake face rips off to still have the scar underneath. Yeah, dude. As I'm saying, it's how much is he feeding off of her confessions and what have you, if that is the case? Yeah. Toying with her. He knows these juicy details. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I think nonetheless, because this is Takashi Miike, we already know because of the films we reviewed, it's going to get pretty heavy <laughs> for the most part. And this is no different. And this is what I think, too, what makes him appealing, you know, in this sense is, man, you can drive so many different ideas and concepts out of these films. And we're all watching the same thing. But there's so much that we all read into it differently. And I think that's what makes these kind of things fun, you know? If it's just straight to the point, yeah, that's cool. Everybody gets it, but this is different. <laughs> it's a different beast. This one, I do think there's hard and fast answers. I think it's just harder to get to them. Right, right, right. Because you do have to think. and I mean, it is there for you. It is there for the taking, no doubt. Man, you do have to dig a little bit. Because I think there's no something... I think beyond the fact that they're just conjoined twins, I do think that there's something to the fact that almost every mask that pops up and masks pop up like three or four times yeah. is a half mask. You're right. There's half truths, half falsities, right? I think there's something in there that I just, yeah, some way it works in that I haven't completely grasped well, yet. Too with the dual nature or mm -hmm. with twins and stuff like that, you know? And that's the thing. I think there's that, but I think it's beyond It's beyond that. that. No, it is. It's not Easy. just as simple as that. Mm -hmm. You're right. There's a lot more going on, but that's, once again, that's Mike, dude. <laughs> He's awesome. And he's not the only one, but he does a really good job of this kind of stuff. And so, oh man, like I just realized, so that the dart that doesn't exist is also a blood-covered phallic symbol. But she turned it back on him and scarred him, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Shame of some sort, who knows. But if it's a sexual thing, we already know that, or at least it's implied that they were exploited to some extent. Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe that's the dick back at him, who knows. I don't fucking know. I, don't I rambled know. about this for a bit. Do you have anything you wanted to throw in about it? No, not necessarily. Like I said, I just do like the use of the dream sequences and, and the interpretations that you can drive out of them. And, you know, it's coincidental that you did mention high tension with some of these films. And it's like, oh, yeah, because it's kind of a false narrative. How much do you really read into those dream sequences? How much of it can you rely on? Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's once again, that's what makes it kind of fun is, you know, <laughs> which direction do you want to go in? But uh, yeah, I think just overall, knowing that he was a part of it, the story, I wasn't sure exactly which direction they were going to go with it. Whew. Yeah, it was a good one. So if you would have described Oof. all these stories to me, I would have guessed Cut as being the Mike. Yeah, because of some of the films too, with like happiness without spoiling too much, happiness has some of that comedy and dance in it too. 
Box is a little bit more of a drama, and I would have went Korea with that one. Yeah, given the ghost and stuff with A Tale of Two Sisters and some of that other stuff we've reviewed in the past. I think Dumplings is the only one that I would have guessed was... That would have been kind of neat to see the flip. <laughs> had, they, had each one of those directors switch their roles, you know, for those films. Now, that's just me thinking out loud. I was going to say, it would be kind of neat to see if they shuffled those scripts and gave the directors, you know, like, hey, you do this one, you do that one, and then we'll jumble it again. Let them all have a take or turn at those stories, see what kind of different interpretations you get. Should we try to rank these? I mean, we can. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's like, you know, this is so bad. It's the, no, it's not the point. Like, they are all great in their own respect. <sighs> I think probably because of the content, I like dumplings a lot more than I probably should have, even though it's pretty straightforward. I was like, oof, that one had me a little bit here. I liked Cut a lot. I really did because it mixed the absurd with the comedy. But to rank them, ah, dude, I'm, I, ugh, fuck. I, I might know, say right? I might say I like dumplings, probably followed by the caches, and then probably cut in that sequence. This is tough. I know, dude, because they're all good. And like I said, just because we rank them this order doesn't mean it's definitive. This is all subjective. I think my number one is actually going to end up being dumplings. I'm actually going to rank them in order. Yeah, dumplings cut. I love Takashi, but right. like, and I love that he made such a complicated, deep film, but it's not a complicated and deep that I want to sit there and dwell I know, on. Dude. It could, because it does encompass it encompasses them having to have been abused at some point and figuring out exactly right. where that works into all of these different... But not only that, but I think maybe because you have to think a lot more in this one than the other ones, maybe it detracts your attention away from the other ones. Mm -hmm. It makes you focus a little bit more on this one. And that's no jab or anything at this. It's just, I think it can be overshadowing the other ones because of its content. Like I said, like cut for me has high highs and weird low yeah. lows. Yeah, yeah. And it's the one that I would most love to just like put on the background at a fucking party. That would be a really good because you're like it has enough attention drawn to it in those sequences and the camera angles. I think that's the thing that stood out to me a lot is the use of camera angles and close ups and things like that, especially on uh, Lee Bung Kim's character. Mm -hmm. You know, especially after he's watching this, like, what the fuck are you doing, guy? in his expressions or lack thereof. So yeah, they each contribute something different. But yeah, and then Dumplings is just fun all around. It's well done. Yeah. Like I said, it feels folklore without being flat out. Like I said, it just gives you a little bit of fairy dust. <laughs> Biling's great. Yeah, she was. She was looking nice too. Fuck it. Yeah. There's so much story. not wrong with Dumplings. Plus... Fucking fetus eating. I know, dude. That's what made me like, ooh, ooh, we already right off the bat. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's nice, dude. I almost said that. I was like, the way they were set up in order, it's kind of works. It does kind of work. I almost said it too, but I didn't want to. Not that I didn't want to be that guy, but it's like, uh, you could argue for it. I'm glad you did it too, because like I said, they're all good, but man. I don't know. It is hard to give a definitive ranking, you know what I mean? Because in multiple views, we might change our opinion. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But as is, I like them in that order. Oof. We don't have next week, do we? No, not yet. Oh, there was one other. You pointed out the score on every one. I'm famously don't pay as much attention as uh, you do most no of the time. But the fucking 
whatever it is they're playing on the outro credits of it all is a fucking banger. Yeah, no doubt. There are some parts... It's like a string piece that get, ends up with a little bit of rock guitar towards the end. It's fucking yeah. killer. I was going to say, on that note too, no pun, but on that note too, there are some audible cues in cut that I thought was interesting, especially when the guy, the stranger, was talking about the differences in class too with piano and drums. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, I prefer drums. And as he's slicing the finger, you hear the drum chants and shit in the background in the right. music. So they're doing stuff like that. It's clever. They're making use of some of the dialogue and putting it in with what they're talking about. And with uh, Koji Endo's score in this, you know it's fucking Takashi Miike film with his score because it's ratcheting up some of those tense moments. So like so all around, everybody who scored it did a great job. I think every one of the films, too, or segments did a great job of of the cinematography, the costume design, all of this stuff. I don't think any of them felt out of place, if that right. makes sense. Like, I think they all fit within that scope of the anthology, the quote-unquote extreme end of it. I think it's more or less like waiting in it <laughs> before you get into the deep end of it. So, yeah, dude, I enjoyed it. I think it was, it was a great choice. Like so once again, we get to talk about Mike and all these other guys, so I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was dope. We need to figure out next week. We do. In order to listen to us next week, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. So if you can rate and review us however you're listening to us, that'd be super cool because the world is around on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. We do. You know what I can tell you about next week? It's not going to be an anthology so that we don't have to talk about 50 different people. I know. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with it, but yeah, it does get a little little wordy. Email us squirmcast at gmail.com or by contacting us through our website, www.friesquirms.com. While you're over at the website, click links up at the top of your part of the Earfirm Podcast Network. We brought up General Nerdery a couple times already. Yeah. Danny's been on it. I talk about nerd shit over on there. It's Go fun. Listen to it. We also have the Art of War Gaming. They talk about war gaming mixed with war treatises. More shit to come. It's just COVID fucking smacked us this fucking month. God dude. smacked us. Holy shit. Poor Zach. I know, man. That sucks. Quarantined right after a house move and hasn't had internet. Yeah, that sucks, dude. But, you know, before too long, he'll he'll be back for sure. That's right. Search for us for Fried Squirms on all the social medias. Yeah, once again, we do enjoy your recommendations, suggestions. And if you have a film that needs some eyeballs on it, let us know. We're always up for that as well. And for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Out.